Good morning. All right. Welcome. Hey, if I haven't met you, my name's Jesse, and uh, I teach the Bible here on Sundays, which is super exciting for me to do. All right. (laughs) Whoever did that, thank you so much. Yeah, at least I didn't get a boo. (laughs) Where's Wayne? Okay. um, So, welcome. Hey, um, if you don't have a Bible this morning, we are going to be in John chapter 20. So if you do have your Bible, turn to John 20. If you don't have a Bible, you want to use one, you want to look at one, you want to get one for free, keep your hand raised, and one of these attractive gentlemen will give you a Bible. Um, and uh, I, want to, I want to mention a couple weeks ago, you see this good-looking guy right here, Stan, uh, this guy who's not paying attention? This is Stefan Glander. They just had their third baby two weeks ago, little Juniper. She's sleeping. She's in her hands, the first day at church. And then uh, two days ago, Zach and Laura Osnes just gave birth to their second child. And so I got to do a couple baby visits these couple weeks. And then I think, I think uh, the grandparents are here somewhere. Are they? Right there. There they are. Do you guys, Theo next door? Awesome. And um, so we've, we, you know, we've had a bunch of kids over the years. And I think we're starting to taper down. The pace is slowing. And so we're going to start injecting some more stuff into the water here again to get that boosted. Um, Uh, This morning, before we get into the Word, um, we support a a gentleman, uh, his name is Travis, and his wife is named Amber, and they do a ministry in Mexico Mexico called So Ministries, Serving Orphans and Widows. And um, he went to high school here. He wasn't a Christian when he was in high school, really rough guy, uh, actually came to the Lord in college. He was a partial encouragement for me when I wasn't really walking with the Lord to go to San Diego to go to a school of ministry. We both went to the same school of ministry. I became a pastor. He became a missionary in Mexico to serve orphan and widows, and we've been supporting him for the last several years. And we just sent a, a pretty good-sized team down there to assist and help out down there. And so I want to ask uh, uh, Larry and Esther to come on up with their team. I don't know who's all here this morning. Sue and Al and, and Jeremy and Christy. And I know Jeremy and Christy were already up here, and they are, they didn't, my wife just informed me, they didn't like me saying it, but they are a powerhouse couple. I don't care that they don't like hearing it. They are an awesome couple. And it's because they know there's a lot of other great couples in the church. But when I preach on serving, they're not included, okay? <laughs> they're excluded. They do a lot around here. She helps out in the nursery, and they have faithfully served the Lord. And obviously, all of you guys are awesome, too. You are. <laughs> Even me, huh? Yeah. Even this guy. And so they're going to share with you a little bit of what they did down there. Testing, testing, okay. Um, My name's Larry, and uh, Esther and I went down last year and checked out uh, Travis's missions down there, and we came back uh, wanting to do something. So this is what we came up with, and uh, this, this family here, and these folks here, and a couple we're missing, um, uh, let's see, uh, the Eberharts, Al and Carol Eberhart, uh, was in our group. They started south and had mechanical problems, so they weren't allowed to continue along with us to cross into um, Mexico. We also have uh, Becky Forsman and Richard Lazareski and Sandy, his wife, and Blanca Lighthouser. So I'll get the names down. Um, and so these group of people really made our job um, complete. And over a two-week period, we went down and worked with four different um, missionaries through SO. 
And with your gracious uh, gifts and donations, we were able to complete the work at four of these locations. Uh, we're just so, feel blessed. I feel blessed. Somehow I, I, I got volunteered as the spokesperson and also the organizers. Al and Sue also didn't make it down there, but they were our home-based team. And um, thank goodness for uh, Lifelines and FaceTime. Um, I had to call them and get some technical issues corrected on how we're going to do some projects. So Esther's going to explain some of the uh, photos that we're about to see, and we'll be available to answer any questions in the, in the back. So I get this again. Great. Okay, so what you're looking at now is a before and after picture. We spent the first three days at Mount Horeb, which was the boys' orphanage. And you can see that before picture. They were in dire need of some roof repair, which the team was able to complete. Okay, here is a nice perspective. As they're taking away the rotting plywood, um, you see that some new lighting is being installed in some of the shower stalls a new safe water-resistant lighting because the boys were showering in the dark. <laughs> so here's the roof uh, again being put on. Uh, they worked, the team worked well into the night to get all these projects complete. Shower heads are being installed for the boys where before they had pipe. And here a new instant water heater is being put in so the kitchen staff has hot water as well as the boys' showers. Um, while the boys were busy outside, and I'm sorry I say boys, they're men, you know, the men, while the men were outside working, uh, we women were inside doing our jobs. We were working on turning that orphanage into a home, and so we were able to complete window coverings for 11 windows, the kitchen, the dining area, and the living area, so that orphanage really did look like a home by the time we left. <coughs> then we moved on to the women's rehab, Uniendo Lasos. And here our goal was to make an attached bathroom so the women no longer had to go outside to use outhouses. So here the men are cutting away the windows and this is where they're gonna insert, insert a door. Go back to the door picture there. There's the door. There's a door now where the window was and a roof is being put up. Continued work on the roof there. And as the men were working again outside completing the roof, there were others inside putting in the plumbing. You see a sink is being installed, new really flushing toilets. And this is part of the completed bathroom. There is, you see, a, just a simple shower. There is uh, piping there for wash basins where the women are going to wash their clothes. On the other half, there's another shower, sink, and two toilets. The partitions are coming up soon with tile, so there will be some privacy there. And uh, oh, over in the orphanage side, uh, the team was able to replace a cover on the water storage tank, which made this a much safer environment for the children who were there. And while the team was, some of the team was working outside, we were inside working with the women, uh, providing some very needed life skills. We provided sewing lessons for them during the week. We had two sessions, morning, afternoon, for them. We taught them all the functions of the sewing machines. We also had them complete a couple of projects. We were able to leave them with sewing machines and materials, thanks to your support, so they could continue on with that. We hear that we're going to be getting some grocery bags for sale up here, some reusable bags, soon. Um, we were also able to stop at an orphanage in Tijuana. We provided them with a mini course in sewing. 
And then these are some of the women back at the rehab with their finished projects. They were just beaming with pride at what they were able to accomplish in that short week. And um, the last slide, this is our entire team. The women have their uh, completed projects that they've done. And along with the sewing and the bathrooms, we were able to also provide them with an American barbecue lunch at the boys' orphanage and women's rehab and orphanage. And at each of the ministries, one of the things that they wanted to let to tell me, one of the things that they told me to really let you know is that they send a heartfelt thank you to their family at SBC. Because uh, these gifts that were provided in love, it's such a practical and tangible way that will impact not only the lives of all these current residents, but also the lives of all the future residents of these ministries. So thank you from our team for the opportunity to go and serve. And then one last thing, I'd like you to mark your calendar, September 29th, 2018. There's going to be a dinner and an auction to raise money for So Ministries because they have a new project, the Blessing Children's Home. And there will be more details coming about that in the future. So again, thank you. So as she made mention, Travis and Amber are opening their own uh, orphanage that will take care of kids between the ages of new newborn to three years old, which is a huge need in Mexico that just really isn't covered because of the liability and things like that. And Travis actually put in his final offer on Friday, uh, and so he told me he'd let me know what happened with that offer as soon as he knew, so I should be hearing from him any moment. Um, what has happened, so you understand, is in the purchase of the property, Teams have been going down to Mexico like ours and visiting, and they've been going to the property and praying, and the owners of the property have seen that. And because of that, they haven't been so nice on negotiating, knowing that Travis really wants the property. And so they haven't been uh, giving the price that Travis feels is fair. And so his final offer, like I said, uh, was Friday. And then if it doesn't go through, they're going to go in another direction. They have a couple other places they're looking at. If it does, it'll be there. So be praying for him on that. <clears throat> With that said, John chapter 20, we've been in the Gospel of John for a year, just short of a year. We have two more weeks left this week and next, and I'm going to be reading, as I said, from John 20. Uh, if you're able this morning, we have a tradition to stand during the reading of Scripture, and so if you would please stand with me as uh, we read this as a church family and we dive in. Verse 1, now on the first day of the week... Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. It was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out to the, with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. When Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus. Jesus' head not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she, <clears throat> and she wept. She stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. 
They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around, saw Jesus standing, but did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom you were seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. She said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have yet to ascend, for I have yet I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father, and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. And everyone said? You may be seated. So, for me, obviously, spending time and studying, you know, where we've been in John, it is... It is a pleasure, personally, for me to finally come to the resurrection. The Gospel of John has been building to this moment. It is a book that has been written that for those of us in the room who do not know Jesus, that we would come to know Jesus. For those of us in the room who know Jesus, that we would be strengthened in our faith in Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament has been pointing to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we come to this place where we recognize that Jesus is not still hanging on the cross, but he has come from the tomb in which he had laid. This is the good news of Christianity. It it, it should not be lost on us that this is a big deal. I don't know how many of you uh, know this or not. Most people do not come back from the dead. But yet Jesus shows us that he has power over death itself. He has defeated death through death and has proven that now through the resurrection. Jesus is not on the cross. We celebrate the cross, but we celebrate an empty cross. He's died for our sins, and he's still alive. The wonder of this, first of all, we have to understand that Christianity has changed the tradition of worship for many. It used to be that the Sabbath was a Saturday, but now now we celebrate on a Sunday because Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday. In fact, it, it reads that for us here, so we... So we can comprehend it in chapter 20, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary came. The resurrection was so powerful, in fact, uh, that that it is one of the, uh, if not the main message that Paul used in the book of Acts to bring people to Jesus. Some of you may remember in chapter 17 of Acts, Paul went to Athens. And it says that while he was in Athens, he was provoked in his spirit because he saw that the city was full of idols. He, basically, he walked into a town, much like Truckee, probably bigger and busier and bustling, and noticed that people were worshiping all kinds of different gods. And it says something was provoked within him. So he reasoned, it said. He, he used logic. He began to teach in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons, people who were worshiping some kind of entity or worshiping the God that they did not know was amongst them. He also taught in the marketplace, it said, and with those who happened to be there, some of the uh, what, what's called the Epicurean Stoic philosophers, those philosophers of the day conversed with him. They spoke with Paul. And some, some went on to say, what is this babbler saying? So some said of Paul, he's a babbler, right? The philosophers probably said that. This, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. This is a god we've never heard of. This is, 
This is a foreign divinity. This is a different kind of God. And it tells us why. And it says because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And so they took him, it says, to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears, is what they said. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Right? The resurrection, it sparks interest among us. Can this be true? Is this a reality? Uh, several months ago, I spoke at a college retreat, and a young man, as I shared with you uh, not that long ago, came to me afterwards, and he said, listen, man, I, I need to know. I got to know, like, like how, how do you fall in love? How do you fall in love with someone you don't believe in? And he looked at all of his friends who were worshiping Jesus. He, he walked into a room, much like, much like some of us do in here, and they, they see people. For me, it's just a blessing to see people worship and, and to have their hands raised in surrender because that's what it is, right? When someone asks, why do we raise our hands? It's, it's an act of surrender. If, if a cop pulls a gun on you, what do you do? I have nothing. It's surrender. It's knowing that you're in the presence of someone higher than you, someone, someone that's more powerful than you. And that's a beautiful thing. And he experienced that coming to this retreat. And he said, I want that. And I want this to be true. What you're saying, I want to be true, but just because I want it to be true doesn't mean it's true. How, how do I fall in love with this, this God, this, this Jesus that, that came back from the dead? How do I do that? I said, keep showing up, first of all. Keep coming. Keep watching. Keep experiencing. Keep asking questions. And so this, this reality has brought people over the centuries to Jesus. There is no other religion in our day, that says that their leader is still alive. Muhammad is dead. Hare Krishna is dead. Jesus is alive. We worship a living God, a God in heaven, a God who right now has ascended and is sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven, praying and interceding on our behalf. That gives me comfort when I preach. That no matter how short I may fall in preaching, Jesus is still praying for you. He's, he's right now in heaven praying that you would experience and know the goodness of Jesus. So we come to this place where, where Mary Magdalene runs to the tomb. She comes to the tomb, and, and the language that's used here, I don't, I don't have time to go into it, but it says that it's basically during this night watch. This night watch is, is represented between the, the time between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. It's early, really early, like Wayne Hoig early. It was, common, it was common in Jesus' day for tombs to be raided, uh, to be thieved, for, for the body and, the, and what was ever in there to be, to be stolen. It was so common, in fact, that Emperor Claudius outlawed it. He made it a, a capital offense. That if someone stole anything from a tomb, they were to be murdered. So she comes to this place. She, she, she's there early in the morning. And the reason behind this is, I think, worthy of mentioning. She's, she's not thinking clearly, is she? She should be sleeping. But she was in love with Jesus. She cared about Jesus. And, and when you're madly in love with someone, you don't always think really clearly, do you? Some of you step back to the moment you first fell in love. Right? Those engage, that engagement period or that dating period where you just do things that just, they just don't make sense. Like sit down at a restaurant and order food and not eat it, just talk. She's not thinking clearly, it, and she comes to this empty place, 
And Mary is moved within her spirit to do so. She, it's most likely she can't sleep. She should be sleeping and she can't. So she's come. Now Mary's one of four women. The other gospels mention that there's other women here, but Mary's mentioned first. And it may be because maybe she was there before everyone else, there a little earlier. Or maybe it's just because John's trying to emphasize this reality that this was once a woman who didn't know Jesus, and now she's so madly in love with Jesus that she's come early to find Jesus. But note that she's not looking for a living Jesus. She's looking for a dead Jesus. Remember Mary. Luke chapter 8 teaches us that Mary was a woman who was possessed with seven demons. Not one demon, because that would be hard. Not two That would be difficult. Not three. That would be overwhelming. But seven different demons. This was a woman who was oppressed. She was demonized. She probably was guilt-ridden. She was full of shame. And we're told that that she's Mary of Magdalene. Magdala. The Jewish Talmud records that the town of Magdala, where Mary was from, was a town of prostitution. It was the red light district. So it is that some suggest that because of that that reality and what these historic documents teach us about Magdalene or Magdala, that maybe she was a prostitute. That is the tradition that Mary, the tradition is that Mary lived a life of prostitution. But you and I have to enjoy this, the reality of how beautiful it is. Jesus has a big eraser. And he comes into this woman's life and gives her a new life. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter how sordid your past is. He'll take you as you are. And she didn't clean herself up first. Jesus came to her dirty, and Jesus always cleanses and cleans the fish that he catches. He caught her, and he cleaned her up, and now here she is. Mary's a new person, is she not? This is what the resurrection teaches us. Jesus hung on the cross. He died. He, was, uh, he rose from the dead. And, and the reality of this is it's, it's to teach us not only do we have a promise of life after this life, but that, that we've been given a new identity, a fresh start. A new beginning. I heard a reminder this week of the great theologian prior to the 1500s, that far back, old guy, old dead guy, named Augustine. Augustine was a great theologian. He's a a guy that, if you like reading some old stuff, he'd be a good guy to go to. And and Augustine, actually it was said of Augustine before he came to Jesus, he he was a promiscuous man, much like Mary Magdalene. He was a man who slept around. He he, kind of was known as a a smooth-moving guy. And when he came to Jesus, he cleaned up his life. He changed everything. It was said that one day that he came across a, a woman that he had had a relationship with. And, and that woman came to him, and, and, and Augustine wasn't really interacting with her all that much. And so he, he walked away, and she thought, maybe, maybe he doesn't recognize me is what was said, that, that she, didn't, she, she wasn't recognized by Augustine. So she said to Augustine as he was walking away, Augustine! Augustine, it's me. Don't you remember? It's me. And Augustine turned around and said, oh, yes, I know it's you, but it's no longer I. The reality in Christianity is that Jesus brings a fresh start. I said on Easter, every counseling situation that I've ever been in is somebody coming and saying, I need a resurrection. I need a new beginning. I need a, I need a, start. I need a restart. I need a do-over. This was crazy when people say, like, you know, God teaches his mercies are new every morning. Right? I mean, if, if you have children, oh, here we go. Jesse's talking about his kids again. You know, every, every night for Allie and I, it is, it's like, okay, 
We should probably fast and pray instead of eating dinner every night. <laughs> and and it's just it's always it's always a fight to get the kids in bed, right? And then and then they they keep getting up out of bed and they got to remind us of stuff. I just got to tell you something. I just got to tell you something. You know, there's two of my skinny little kids in their underwear trying to tell us something when they should be in their sleep. It's like visual for you. It's it's chaos. And uh, after we put the kids to bed last night, Allie, Allie and I walked down the stairs, and, and my wife looked at me, and she just said, are we going to make it? <laughs> I said, no, we're not. We're done for, and um, we should quit. And so w- this is why we talked about adoption, because we're going to give up our children. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm so kidding. I love my kids. <laughs> I repent right in front of all of you right now. Jesus, Lord, I love my children. Um, the Bible tells us that, that he, he who has sinned much loves much. He who has forgiven much of much sin loves much. This is Mary. She loves and she's calm and she's, she's seeing an empty tomb and she doesn't fully realize what is happening. In fact, if you take a look at the text, you'll see several different times some form of another of the words saw or see exists. One of those is in verse 4, another one is in verse 6, one is in verse 8, and another one is in verse 12. And what's interesting about these words is is they're all different in the original language. They're different words. The word that's used for, for Mary, when Mary came and saw... And the first time that John came, and we just have to take a, a side note here, that this is, this is divinely inspired scripture. And I just find that beautiful because, because God saw fit to share with us that John that is being written here is, is a faster runner than Peter. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have anything deep to say about that. I just think it's really kind of cool. Like in a competitive sense, like John just bled by the Lord. I ran to the tomb and I am faster than Peter. <laughs> so John shows up and he's, he looks into the tomb. He saw. Now take note here that Mary saw and John saw. And the word that's used there is blepo. It means to notice in a way that just makes out general facts. So Mary, just she, she's emotional. So she just steps into the realm, and she sees, okay, the tomb is empty. John has beaten Peter. He's probably huffing and puffing, and he makes out a, a, just a general look. But Peter, Peter then comes in. He steps down in verse 6, and the word that's used there is theoreo. He's a little bit more intent in his study. He's looking closely. And again, you almost see the competition again. Verse 8, John then, after Peter goes in, John almost, you can kind of visualize, is pushing now Peter off to the side. He steps down into the tomb, and then he begins to see. And the Greek word there is adon. And the verse tells us, at this point, it says he looked, he saw with comprehension, is what this means. He, He comprehended, and then he believed. Now, there's a couple other places I think are important to see. Go to verse 20. We didn't read them, but after the resurrection, after Jesus appeared to Mary, he then appeared to his disciples in a locked room. And when he said this, it said, as he stepped into the locked room, he showed, that's the word I want you to see, he showed them his hands and his side. That word showed is to expose or to give evidence of. He's saying, look, this is a real deal. I I really am back. And then if you go to verse 27... It goes even farther with Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. Then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here 
into the actual place where I was pierced and into my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side, he said. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. There's a progression here. I see, I see it as, as evidence of a progression of discipleship. Remember, John has written this book that if you were in the room this morning and you were questioning who Jesus is, this book was written for you. This is a book that was written that if you don't know Christ, you would come to know Christ, that you would be reconciled to the God of the universe, the God who made your soul, that he knows you intimately. It was also written again for those of us who have proclaimed Jesus, that through the study of this book over the past year, we would believe, we would be strengthened in our belief, that we would not doubt, that we would take joy in the resurrected Jesus that we worship. Now, all too often, Christianity at times has been stuck in this idea that in order for one to actually know that they were saved, they have to actually put down in a calendar the exact day that one came from death to life. And this is in part, I think, to, to the revolution of, of guys like Billy Graham who would preach an amazing gospel message and, and someone would raise their hand and say the sinner's prayer and ask Jesus to come into their life. And it was an easy marker to know that at one time this guy believed and another time he didn't. But I'll just tell you from my experience, more times than not, it's the same kind of journey that we see here with Mary all the way to the doubting Thomas. All too often, I think, and, and, and it's, a lot, it's a lot harder than to just say a prayer, but typically you invite someone in to come and see, and there's a general notice. Okay, this is church. This is weird. I don't think I'll come back. Doesn't that happen? Why are they singing? Why are they listening to this guy? Why are they raising their hands? There's a general noticing. And then the general noticing comes to a place where you start to maybe take a little bit more interest, like that young college guy who who was watching his friends worship jesus and asking the question and looking intently and saying what is the evidence that christianity is really real and then there comes a place where you finally go you know what i think i believe i i think i actually believe in jesus and then you start to see more evidence and like the disciples in the room your faith is bolstered and then as your faith is bolstered and you've actually come to know Jesus now you feel him and you touch him you put the hands in the side and you know you're one with God and you finally really confess with your heart a true discipleship experience a true following of Jesus my lord and my god you know we have a a new children's director been there for a little while now right? Joe Casey. This, this is the story of Joe. Don't tell him I, I talked about him because he'll kill me. He doesn't want anyone to know, you know. Like, he's really kind of private, and, but his story is a glorious one. He, he came to church here. You know, he, he, he had a really rough life. He used to be a drug addict. He used, to be, he used to be married before his wife left him because of his drug addiction. Just a rough life, and, and he knew he'd heard God moving on his spirit, and so he came to Sierra Bible Church. Hadn't even attended church here yet. He just came to get some counseling. Happened to meet with Wayne. Wayne heard his story, and I think Wayne was like, oh, you're kind of one of those broken dudes? You've got to meet Jesse. <laughs> so he escorted Joe down to the office and basically said, here you go. <laughs> you know? And Joe and I were similar age. We do have some, some similarities in our background, and, and we began to meet with one another. And he began to ask questions. He began to wonder more about who Jesus is. He wanted to know more. And so we brought him on as an intern for a little bit. And he started to study God's word. And, and then one day he didn't show up to his internship. He just didn't show up. 
I thought to myself, well, this is unacceptable. I had another intern at the time. I knew where Joe lived, so we drove over. We drove over to Joe's house. I saw Joe's car was sitting in the driveway and noticed that, that he was home because it's the only vehicle he had. And this guy didn't show up to his internship. He lived right in Sierra Meadows. Okay, well, I'm going to go pound on his door. Took Jordan Dero, the other intern at the time, walked down to the door, knocked on his door, said, Joe, Joe, answer the door. Joe didn't answer the door. So I, I, I respected Joe's privacy, and I walked over to the window, and I peeked in through the blinds. <laughs> I said, Joe! Because as I peeked through the blinds, I could see into his bedroom, and I saw his feet sticking out of his covers. And I pounded on the window. Boom, boom, boom. Joe! He wasn't responding. And he didn't respond until I said, I can see your feet! <laughs> and then he said, go away. Kind of like that. And discipleship, I said, this is discipleship. I, I, I said, man, we are not leaving till you come outside and you talk to us. And he came and he just, he was doubting in his faith in that moment. He hadn't gone out and sinned. He didn't do anything hard. He just felt ashamed of his past and, and felt like he wasn't good enough. And, and so I, I said, dude, you, you got to keep showing up. You got to keep diving in. And he came back to church and then he went through, through more discipleship with us. And, and then after that, he went to San Diego, came back to San Diego. And then with a girl, some people tried to set him up with before. It didn't work out. But then all of a sudden, they tried to set him up again with this girl. And then he married one of the pastoral girls. And that may not mean a whole lot to you, but if you know any of the pastoral girls, you know the pastoral family, they're, they're like the Rogelstads. They are a powerhouse family. They love Jesus. All the wives love Jesus. All the husbands love Jesus. And all the kids are going to love Jesus, even if they don't know it yet. <laughs> and they're leaving behind a great legacy. And Joe's married into this tremendous family with a woman who loves Christ. And then they went to Reno. They, were, they, they moved down there. They tried to find some other churches, and, and it just wasn't working. They were like, see, your Bible's our family. This is our family. This is where people love us. We're coming back to the church here. And they came back just to attend. And then through a series of events, it became clear. <clears throat> Joe came to me. He's like, man, God's calling me to be a pastor. And I, I can't, I can't, I can't not run. I can't run from this anymore. And so he's being discipled here. He's taking over the children's program. And Abby is plugging in. And we've got, oh, that children's program is like, it is, it is becoming just a beautiful, awesome thing. If you have kids over there, they're learning the word of God they are being cared for, and they are being taught the goodness of Jesus Christ. From a homegrown sinner. You ask Joe, he'll tell you, he'll tell you the year he was saved. I don't know if he could tell you the day. I don't want to misspeak. Maybe he could. But my point is that, that, that we have to understand that sometimes when we're sharing the gospel with people, it's a journey. It isn't always overnight. Not everybody gets it. In fact, if, if you... If you look, this, this stood out to me in my study time. No commentator even really touched upon it in all the ones that I read. Verse 9, as for yet, they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. How many of us feel like that sometimes? I don't understand. And, and then several years later, you understand. Or if you're like me, you understand, you forget. And then you understand again. It's all, in a sense, resurrection. And I want you to notice something in verse 7. They come to this place in verse 7, and the, the, the cloth that's lying there that Jesus was bound in has been folded neatly. I told you to make note of this last week because if you remember, Nicodemus came to, to help bury Jesus, and he donated very costly, the kind of cost that would be used for a king or royalty, 75 pounds of aloes and spices. And those aloes and spices, they'd make like a jelly-like substance. 
and the body would be wrapped in cloth, each limb individual, and as as they were wrapped in that, the aloes were placed for the smell to be nice and beautiful and a way to honor the dead, and then be placed in that tomb with a big heavy rock, that what would happen is is the cloth would create a hard, jelly-like substance. Now think, there was another resurrection in Scripture. Lazarus. And when Lazarus, when Jesus speaks, Lazarus come forth. You remember Jesus then gives the commands, unwrap him, because he's having a hard time. (laughs) Jesus here, though, in his new resurrected glorious body, does not have to be unbound. He has the time, the patience in his resurrection to get up to unwrap himself and to neatly fold it. This teaches us something here, that grave robbers definitely weren't part of this process. They would not have taken the time to unwrap his body and to neatly fold it as if, well, just for those loved ones. They just would have taken it. Now, there's the Jewish custom that one commentator reads. I, I can't confirm this because I wasn't a Jew back then, but this is interesting anyway. There's a Jewish custom that when you would come to a person's house, if they were nice to you, some of you do this practice now, they were hospitable to you, you, and if you enjoyed the meal in the company and you were treated favorably, you as the guest, you'd take your piece of cloth, your napkin, you'd crumple it up, and you'd place it on your plate afterwards to say thank you for their kindness. If, however, you were not treated with hospitality or kindness, you would politely fold it. And that was a polite way of saying, I'm never coming back here again. You'll never see me again. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, folded up the napkin, placed it here like, I'm out of here, and you're not seeing me here again. This resurrection thing for Jesus is a one-time event. It has changed history. It has changed the way we calculate history. It has changed cultures. It has changed generations. It has changed families. It has changed individuals. And the gospel of Jesus Christ will continue, continually, continually change people's lives all we need to do is keep preaching jesus and people will come to jesus and jesus will change them just as he changed mary just as he changed augustine and just as he will change you this resurrection is a promise for us is it not it's a promise that not only our lives can be new now not only can be we be washed clean not only can we have a fresh start but it's the promise that this isn't the only life that we will live Right, Paul, Paul says, and I've felt this way for sure, he says, to live is Christ. Right? To die is gain. And I love the language he uses after that. He says, I am hard-pressed between the two. Have you ever thought, man, today's the day I want to live? Usually that's not in January if you're shoveling, right? It's usually sometime in July. You're out in the sun and everyone's having a good time man, I want to live. And, and then those days that are hard come and you go, man, I wish I, wish I was in heaven with Jesus. I've even had young people, young people who have been thinking about suicide or thinking about life in general. Why, why can't I just go to Jesus now? And it's, it's the kind of language like Paul. I'm hard-pressed between the two, he says. What should I choose? Should I choose living or should I choose death? I'm so confused in, in a sense. But then he brings it full circle, right? And he's telling us, I'm here for your benefit. Do you know why you're still alive this morning? Because Jesus has a plan for you. And you know what that plan is? That plan is to commission you 
just as he commissioned Mary. What did he say, Mary? Mary, go. Go. You, you notice what he says to her. It's very interesting. He says, don't cling to me. Don't cling. You got a job to do. Worship me, yes. But you, you, I see this language as don't just, don't just come to Sundays, yo. We got a little gangster there. <laughs> don't just come to Sunday. Don't just go to your Bible study. Don't just clean, but go because I've got other brothers, other sisters, and other people who need to know about me. And, and you're on that mission. If you, if you look, you'll, you'll actually see within the room, the room is locked. And Jesus steps into the room, verse 22, and he steps into that locked room in verse 22, and he said to them, and he breathed on them, and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. He's, he's now pushing towards the book of Acts, and he's giving the Holy Spirit because he's giving us He's giving us a particular kind of purpose and a particular kind of power. When you are resurrected in Jesus Christ, you get three things. I don't know if you, you notice them, but look at, look at verse 19 for the first one. On that evening of the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, why were they scared? They thought they were going to be crucified like Jesus. They don't know that Jesus has come back from the dead or, or they've at least heard of it and they're not completely sure, they're doubting. So they're in this locked room and Jesus then shows up out of nowhere showing the kind of glorious new resurrected body he has outside of time and space. He appears into the room and the first thing he says to them is, peace be amongst you. Have you ever scared someone before? Sneak around the corner, Boo! I love doing that around here at the church office to the staff. They hate it, but I did it to Joe the other day. I did it to Ben the other day. Ben almost punched me in the face. He was like, oh, yeah. And, like, he saw me. He knew it was me, and he calculated. You could see him calculating. I need to do this. I can't do this. I got to do this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to, yeah. Okay, I better not do it. Jesus appears in the room. Peace. Peace amongst you. I'm here. And then purpose. I'm sending you. Jesus said to them, peace to you. As the, listen to the language. As the Father has sent me, what? I'm sending you. Listen, if you're a Christian this morning, the mission of God is binding to you. You cannot be a Christian and not share your faith. Can it be any clearer? As God has sent me, purpose, I am sending you purpose. And then he breathes on them to show them that the breath of God, new life, because the breath of God brings life. That's how Adam and Eve came into existence. He breathed upon them, and now he breathes upon the church, and he breathes upon you to give you the power necessary to be on this mission-binding mission that we're on. He sends Mary, and Mary becomes the first evangelist. She's a woman. Now, that, that seems great to us, but in Jesus' day, women weren't looked upon as someone that you, would, you definitely wouldn't start a religion with. In fact, on Easter, I shared with you a second century uh, philosopher by the name of Celsus said, said you cannot, basically, he said you cannot believe Christianity because how can a man be expected to believe in the emotional opinions of a woman? And all the women went, excuse me? <laughs> that was his argument against Christianity. That was the culture that they lived in, and yet Jesus establishes the church 
with women at the cross, at the foot of the cross, was four women. And John, one guy. Let's just braid on that fact again, that men don't typically allow themselves to be emotionally moved as women are. And I would argue to men that the most masculine thing you can do is to let your heart melt and weep and feel the goodness of Jesus. I love it when something happens within the church where I am moved to a place of tears and gratitude that God found me and saved me from myself. Come on, guys. Seriously. I want my kids to know. i got to be careful here. You know, we wrestle. We wrestle. I'm raising boys. We wrestle. Usually they get hurt. Because <laughs> I am bigger and all, you know. And we do dude stuff. But I also want them to know that it's okay to feel you know, man, could you imagine? Can you imagine sitting in this room and being stoic in the, in the locked room? Could you imagine standing at the foot of the cross and acting stoic? Could you, could you imagine being at that tomb with those angels appearing and being stoic? May we as people, it's okay to be analytical. It's okay to think logically. It's okay to also raise your hands and surrender and be moved by the goodness of Jesus Christ. I gave Brad Beers a hard time the other day, just a little bit because he was, he was preaching on the inerrancy of Scripture and, and what Scripture is. And as he prayed, he was moved in his prayer the other night because we were doing our Sunday night stuff, and he was moved in his prayer, and he started to cry while he was praying. Because, because he was just, if I remember right, and you can correct me, Brad, you just yell it out or whatever, because he was so thankful that Jesus sent Scripture to us so that we wouldn't be alone in this world without it. Just moved. It's okay to be moved, guys. It's okay to be passionate as Mary is, as the other women are, because we've been given the peace of God. We've been given the purpose of God. I want you to note one thing as we close here. Jesus goes into this locked room, and he appears to doubting Thomas. And, and the reason I think this is important it, it, is comes from this quote, that Jesus showed up in this locked room in spite of closed doors. Which means that today in your life, Jesus can go where no one else can go. He can go where no counselor can go. He can go where no doctor can go. He can go where no lover can go. He can reach you and reach into you anywhere and anytime. There is no place where you are and no depth of personhood that you are in which Jesus cannot penetrate. Jesus' resurrection from the dead fits him to do what no one else can do. There is... No one like him in all of the universe. He is alive, and he is the one and only God-man that is capable, capable of. What he is capable of, you cannot imagine. And it is a healing wonder to contemplate that all the complex layers of your life, which neither you nor anyone else can understand, are familiar territory to him. Isn't that beautiful? The doors are locked, and people's lives all over the Tahoe area. Do you trust in faith that God could send you into the world just as he sent Jesus into the world to appear within that room of their heart and to see Jesus unlock those doors that they would come to faith in him? 
I'm asking God in the resurrection to increase our faith that we would see and we would believe. That's why it was written that Jesus will bring the dead back to life in our area. Don't you want that? Does anyone else want that? Your friends, your family, your lost ones to know the love of God? I can't think of any. You were created for a purpose, to be united to the maker, to live for the maker. That's what you were created for. You won't find peace until you find that connection. And what God does in that is he makes everything else you do more purposeful. Raising kids is beautiful, more beautiful in Christianity. Being a husband is beautiful in Christianity. Being a wife is beautiful in Christianity. It all starts to make sense. Even being a kid and all the teenagers are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Being a child and, and submitting to your parents becomes a beautiful thing when you understand the gospel. The gospel unlocks the doors to make everything beautiful. You need a breakthrough in your marriage, Jesus can break through. You need a breakthrough with your relationship with your kids, Jesus can break through. You need a breakthrough in your depression, Jesus can break through. You need a breakthrough in anything that you can think of where the doors seem locked, it seems impossible. Jesus has been resurrected from the dead and he can enter into that moment with or without you. And I'd rather be there I don't want to miss out because he's going to do it without me. Jesus doesn't need me. Do you know that? That's more a reminder for myself. Yeah, I know you don't need me. He doesn't, he doesn't need you, but he wants you. There's a difference, isn't there? He's saying, hey, come be part of the mission. Come be part of the miraculous work and celebrate. And we got to celebrate it when someone comes to know Jesus, right? When little Ford was baptized, that's a celebration. When someone gets baptized, celebration. Someone gets saved, discipled, they start, we need to celebrate those things. And I'm praying that God will do more of those things, not, not because we are trying to build a kingdom in Truckee other than the kingdom of God. I just want to see more people come to Jesus because I think Jesus wants to see more people come to Jesus. Can we agree on that? Yes. All right. So this morning we get to celebrate and we get to participate in one of the commandments that Jesus gives us as believers. We get, to, we get to do communion together, to commune with God. And so this time I want to ask Brad and his team to come forward. And um, any of my elders that are here this morning uh, are leaders. And um, I think I asked, uh, I'm a little short on this, so uh, Russ, if you could come to over on this side. Colin, you want to come up and help out here as well? And um, while, I, while I chat a little, here a little bit, you guys can go ahead and pass out the, the bread. And um, I just want to make a couple comments because I think they're important as they're doing that. The, uh, the bread, if you remember Jesus before coming to the cross, before he came to the cross, he sat with his disciples in a very intimate setting and he was inviting those disciples, he was teaching those disciples that reality that when you, become, when you become a Christian, you become part of this family. And so he's sitting with them and, and he's equipping them. He's not only equipping them, he's comforting them. He's comforting them because he's about to go to the cross. And he's equipping them to understand that, that the mission is going to continue after them. That Jesus is going to give them this same mission that they, they can carry the goodness of Jesus Christ out into the world. And so he, as he sits with them, he, he breaks the bread and he passes that bread out to everyone at the table. 
And then he passes out the wine to everyone at the table, and he tells us, take this often. He institutes what's called the Last Supper. Take this often. He says, do it often. And when you do, remember me. And he says, the bread represents the body broken for Jesus, and the wine represents the blood shed from Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. I heard a great story this week that uh, a guy was saying at his church, it was an African-American guy, and he's in, uh, doing church in the inner city. And the majority of his church happens to be African-American. And he was sharing the reality how Jesus reaches all people. And in his inner city church, a hipster white kid started showing up to service. And this hipster white kid happened to be Jewish. And so here's this lone Caucasian guy who's a Jew. With these, He said these little tight little shorts he was wearing. And he stood out, obviously. And he kept hearing the message of Jesus. And every time they partook of communion, because they do it every week, he wouldn't participate. And he told the pastor, he said, the reason I don't participate is because in Judaism, to participate in this, the way you're putting it, is to, is to, like, to do cabal. Um, oh, man, I lost it. Say it again. Okay, you all understand it. I'm not even going to. Man, I, words are hard sometimes. And um, cannibalism. And so he said, I can't do it. Well, one week he came to church. You guys can keep passing out the, please hold your element, and they'll pass out the juice. We'll partake together. And um, he said his, uh, one week he decided to participate in communion because his faith was increasing, and he thought, well, maybe he was at a place where he could take it. And he said he was holding the communion in his hand. He was holding the bread in one hand and the wine in the other, the juice in the other. And he noticed the bread that was used. It's the same bread that we use. It's called matzah. And matzah is unleavened bread. And unleavened bread in the Old Testament represents like sin. Leaven represents sin. That sin is like leaven. When you put it out there, it can spread. It can be cancerous. It can grow and expand. And so during Passover, when they celebrate that Jesus passed, when God passes over the sins of the people, they would eat of the unleavened bread, the bread without sin. And it's the reminder that, that the God, God's people are to be without sin, without mistake, without mar, without, without some kind of marking of failure. And as he held it in his hand, he said, all of a sudden, the gospel made sense. The unleavened bread is Jesus. He is the sinless one. And the juice taught him and showed him that Jesus was the perfect sacrificial lamb for the forgiveness of sins. And in that moment, this white Jewish kid got saved by looking at what we call the visible proclamation of the gospel in his hands. You've heard a portion of the audible gospel. The audible gospel is the preaching of God's word. And God says, Jesus says in the Bible, that they cannot be saved unless they hear, and they will not hear unless one comes and preaches to them and shares the gospel. There is an audible proclamation, and Jesus in his goodness and in, in, in communion has given us the visible gospel. Right? It would be ridiculous, let alone something that I don't think most of us in this room could handle, if we continued to sacrifice lambs as a visible gospel up here every week. See, all of the lambs that were slain in the Old Testament were not sufficient 
to forgive people of their sins. Not one lamb, let alone thousands. And Jesus, through the visible gospel, teaches us as we hold it in our hands that one sacrifice has been made for all one time. There is only one, there is only one perfect sacrifice. There is only one perfect way to salvation. And there's only one way to know the God that made you, and it's through Jesus. Just to echo Jesus' words, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. For I and the Father are one. And then, part of that gospel is that as Jesus is one with the Father, do you remember in John 17, the high priestly prayer? Jesus prays, and he's praying to God, and he's praying for his church, And what does he say? He says, Father, I'm praying for them. I don't pray for the world. I'm praying for them. You know them? The ones that you gave me before the foundation of the world. The one that I'm going to go to the cross for. Those ones. He says, I'm praying for them. He says, Father, I'm praying for them that they would be one with me as I am one with you. And we partake and participate in communion to also show that the gospel is in us. It comes into us that Jesus comes and dwells within us. Isn't that purpose and power beyond anything that you could ever think or imagine? No other religion preaches this kind of reconciliation with their God. We preach the greatest of all intimacies, the greatest of all good news, that you can have a resurrection day of your own. And as the Bible teaches, that, may, that sometimes has to happen every morning. His mercies are new every morning. Does it mean you get saved over and over again? But it does mean that God's goodness and his mercy and his grace is for you, even if you were like Mary, demon-possessed, and prostituting yourself out to other men. Jesus says, I'm for you. There is not one thing that can keep any one of us in this room away from the grace of Jesus. Gosh, that's good. It's freeing. It's liberating. They forgot to give me my communion. I want to add one thing this morning. And if this is you, no one's going to judge you because we're a family. Um, Christianity is a journey. I grew up in a home full of drugs and alcohol, and Jesus has saved me from those things. Several of you have the same kind of stories. <clears throat> um, but communion, Jesus, Jesus warns us. He says, this is, this is for the believer. This is for the person who knows what I've done for him. And, and this morning, if you're journeying and finding out who Jesus is, but you, you don't feel like you have made the commitment to follow Jesus, that's okay, but I would encourage you not to participate because we do consider this holy communion. It's been set apart. Yeah, yeah, I'll be honest with you. I think we got this at Safeway. But once we removed it from Safeway and brought it here and put it here, we have sanctified it. We have set it apart for a purpose. The uncommon becomes extraordinary, just as he does from us in the world. He pulls you out of the world, and he sanctifies you. His body broken for us and his blood shed. Jesus, as we participate in communion this morning, we thank you for the promise that you've given us in your son.
to be reconciled to you, to be given a resurrection, Lord, to know you intimately and to have a new beginning and to have the forgiveness of sins. You're too good to us, Lord. You are far too good to us. And we're not going to bemoan it. We're going to say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me partake. This body broken. I want to say amen. amen. God bless you. Hey, friends, let's stand together as we uh, close on the last song. Uh, thanking the Lord for his goodness. Of defeat, the 
resurrected King is resurrecting me. In your name I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. By your Spirit I rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected King is resurrecting me.